With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Chrome coming to you live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's the Supper Club Sports Guys. I'm Marty Laments, and with me, as always, is co-host Tyler Elbers. Tyler, how are you doing this morning, bud? Marty, great. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. It is just a, a great day to be alive. But uh, you had a birthday this weekend. How did uh, what'd you do this? What'd you do for your birthday? Well, on Friday, I took the day off, and um, my wife took me to Madison with a couple other friends, and we went to the Badger-Purdue game on Friday night. Ooh, Badgers. Ooh, Badgers is right. That is not a good showing. Not a good showing on Friday. They've lost three of the last four now. Yeah, two in a row at the Kohl Center. That is unheard of. That used to never happen back in the Bo Ryan days. No, man. I, I think we addressed it on an earlier episode uh, where, you know, we were just talking about how this this year's team and the last couple of years since guard has taken over, it seems, we just can't shoot free throws consistently. And, like, really, that's what these games that we've been losing have been coming down to because they know that we can't make a free throw and uh, especially Hap and – He's just doing everything else. I mean, he had an insane game that night. He just can't make a free throw. And uh, and then no one else can shoot from outside consistently. And that's a tough recipe right there to to win in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's, it's going to kill us, especially with Hap. Uh, he's a great player, but we all know that he doesn't have much of a shooting range. So if they can just kind of – you know, jump on him when he gets the ball in the post, then he passes out to an open three-point shooter who can't hit a three. Uh, there's not much that we can do. Like you said, Hap still had a good game, put up 31 points, had double-digit boards. I think he had five, six assists, but he also had nine turnovers. Yeah, that's a lot of turnovers for a big man. And one of them down the stretch, um, I can't remember anymore if it was regulation or overtime, but just one of the worst interior passes you can make in the, the time. And it was just so frustrating to watch. It's like, man, it just doesn't make any sense when you're trying to do like a bounce pass 
like to a dude that's three feet away from you and you're under the rim already, like just shoot the ball. <laughs> just put it up. Um, still got to give credit to Purdue. They have a kid on their team, Carson Edwards. He put up 36 and just being, being there live and watching that guy play, uh, he can, he can flat out ball. I mean, he was, he was probably, I mean, between him and a half, they were the best players on the court, and he was just head and shoulders above everybody else, at least with guard play. Yeah, man, that deep three that he made at the end of overtime there was just a dagger. As soon as he touched the ball, I knew he was going to make it, and I was heading for the exits. God, it was like, I mean, I don't know exactly how long that shot was, but that was a good 25-footer probably. That was an NBA range. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a couple feet back from that even. So, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Either way, that was a tough one, and I'm sorry that that's, uh, that's how your birthday started off, your birthday weekend. Well, I, I've come to expect it. I mean, on my 17th birthday, it was the infamous fourth and 26 against the yeah. Eagles, Freddie Mitchell and his belt. Um, so, there have been worse birthdays. All in all, I was in Madison. I had a great time. It was hard not to have a fun time regardless. Very true. I don't think that I've had a bad time in Madison once in my entire life, and I've been there plenty of times. But moving on from Madison, some big news came out of Milwaukee on was that Wednesday night with uh, breaking news of a acquisition of a free agent catcher. Yeah, it was late Wednesday night, too. Usually yeah, it was like 11 o'clock. Exactly. I was almost getting ready to go to bed. Yeah, you texted me, I think. I think you're the one who alerted me that we did, and I was like, no, I don't believe you. And then it was true. <laughs> so what was the deal for? It was one year, $18.2 million, if I'm correct? Uh, yeah, 18.25, I think. But eighteen point two five, yeah. Yes, yes Monty Grandel had a offer from the Dodgers to keep him on the team for seventeen nine. And I believe he turned that down as he also turned down a four year sixty million dollar offer from the Mets. Yeah, reportedly. Accepts a eighteen point two five million dollar contract at a small market in Milwaukee. Yeah, pretty interesting. I don't know if he wants to fire his agent now or if this is one of these deals where he had a rough postseason. All Brewer fans know um, that he probably gave us one, if not two games in the NLCS. Uh, and he wants to you know, do a one-year prove-it deal so he can go back out on the market. Uh, five years ago, Russell Martin signed a – it was like a four-, or five-year, $80 million with Toronto. And Yosemite Grandel is a lot better now than Russell Martin was when he signed that contract. So I'm sure he's looking for something more like that. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. So if he's on a contract year, the Brewers were able to snipe somebody. He's hey, I, I personally, I don't know how you feel about it. I really like the signing. I love it, dude. <laughs> you know, we don't really spend much 
as a you know Brewer fan base um, is not familiar with big contracts like this. You know, um, we've had a handful throughout uh, following the team growing up and and now, um, but this is really something that we haven't done as you know signing a big free agent. I can't like other than Lorenzo. I can't think of the last time that we signed a big free agent. Almost all of our other acquisitions have been via trade, which is great. But, like, we just sacrificed money instead of future talent for a guy who might get us over the hump, you know, and provide a big bat. And this is is a guy who was probably the best free agent catcher on the market. Um, Big name. If you look at it, remember we, were, we had a couple episodes ago, we were talking about Wilson Ramos as a potential guy that the Brewers were going to sign. Obviously, they did not. And we talked about Ramos and his ability to hit, which was a lot better than the current catchers on the Brewers, but how he was a downgrade defensively. Well, you got a guy in Yasmani Grandal who was rated best catcher in the league last year at framing pitches. And he was ranked in the top 10 in their little, it's called defensive run save as a catcher, which is better than Manny Pena, Wilson Ramos, of course, and JT Realmuto, who has been obviously in talks of, you know, Miami trading him away. Um, And then not to mention, we kind of know what his bat is like already. This is a guy, you know, last year, and he's consistently always batted 240, 250, but with a good on-base percentage of 340 to 350 and a slugging just below 500. I mean, he's a guy who's going to hit you 20, 25 home runs a year. Plus, as a left-handed bat, he could probably get a little more over that right field of Miller Park. Right. And he's a switch hitter, too. So, I mean, most of his power comes from the left side. But, you know, we can we don't have to worry about playing catchers based on matchup. You know, whether it's like, oh, we have a left-handed pitcher, we'll put Pena out today. I mean, he could still send Grandal out, and he could take hacks from the right side of the plate, which is valuable. And going back to what you had said about the pitch framing, too, that's obviously something um, that this management group in Milwaukee covets. And, I mean, it's essentially a way to steal outs, you know? It's like the shift, but for pitching and catching. And it's crazy how much that, that it can affect a game, getting one strike call that maybe was a half an inch off the plate, but the framing gets you a strike call and changes, you know, the momentum of an at-bat. It's a great way to absolutely. steal outs. And you're, it, you're absolutely, it's a great point. And you, you look at how hard it is to probably judge if a Josh Hader fastball or slider is a strike or not going to make it a lot easier if Grandal can get that closer to the zone to get another strike in that might have been a little outside or a little high. Yeah, and for 18.25 mil, you know, that's going to get us a couple wins. I'd say it's worth it. What do they say that it's like a couple mil a win or something? What do they Sounds say? Like What's the translation? Me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll take it. Win. When the Cardinals have made a lot of offseason moves, the Cubs will probably be better next year. If you know, with Chris Bryant being healthy and you Darvish being healthy, even though they haven't made moves, Cincinnati has made a lot of moves. 
every single win that comes in the NL Central this year is going to be tough to come by and is going to be important. So if we just gained four or five wins by paying $18 million for this catcher, wow, I'm fine with that. I totally agree. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, NL Central has just been exchanging blows, and the Cubs are still hibernating, and uh, they're gonna wake up here soon, and something's gonna happen down in, in Wrigley, and it scares me. I don't know what they're gonna do if they got Machado or or Harper up their sleeves, or I don't know what else. Who else is all out there? Maybe they're making a deal with. Uh, for real Muto, because Contreras, they could move him to the outfield. Hasn't he played out there? Maybe that's maybe I just made that up. But, yeah, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> the, the NL Central is just – it's a scary place to be right now. I, I wish we were in the AL Central still, like, back in the day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Indians can just snooze their way to the playoffs every year. Yeah, I mean, last year was bad. But so in, uh, you and me both, oh, sorry, go ahead. So you and me both are pretty much on the same page for this signing. There's a lot of fans that I've seen out there on Facebook or social media that look at the number and scoff, 18 and a half mil or whatever it is. And it's like, well, first of all, it's not your money, right? Yeah. The owner of my favorite baseball team is reaching into his pocket and putting down money for a very, very good baseball player. And it's just it's so crazy that sometimes if if they don't want to spend money, then people get mad. And then they spend too much money, heaven forbid, they people get mad. I mean, I just right now as a Brewer fan, I really don't see a downside to this. This is a one-year thing. Yes, Grandel had a really bad playoff last year, especially behind the plate. And I, I guess hitting, too, he didn't hit very well either. But right now they're betting on him being more like he has been showing throughout every season, a consistent hitter with power and great behind the plate. Yep, and that's really all we need. And like you said, he has struggled in the postseason. Uh, I read something earlier this week that he's got a – 107 batting average in 32 postseason games. Um, and I can't find that stat now, so I couldn't get the exact um, slashes on those. But, um, I mean, obviously that is not – that doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, his career numbers, he's a 240 hitter with power. And he'll come around in the postseason, you know. It's just a couple two, two bad postseasons for him, and hopefully he'll have – a great one in Milwaukee this year, but uh, another note about the contract, his 18.25 million actually makes him the Brewers highest paid player this year uh, ahead of Braun, who's making 18 million this year, which it's going to be nice to get rid of that contract. Yep. Yeah. It's funny how that works. So that's just baseball these days. It's about getting value with your players and, and obviously Christian Yelich is the best player on our team and we, we have him for the next four years. And I don't know exactly what the contract is, but I believe it's around 10, $11 million a year. Yeah. I don't know the numbers specifically either. Um, let's see. Yeah. He's making $7 million this year. So 
$7 million this year for the NL MVP. This is how you build good, strong teams. You get these guys that are studs for your team that can be the glue guys in the main core, uh, you know, like a Yelich, like a Hater, like a Kane. And then when you have a chance in the offseason to spend some money and splurge a little bit on a top five catcher in the league, that's when you jump in and do it. Yep. I think uh, this is a big step in showing that the, the Brewers are still for real and they're not, uh, they're not satisfied with last year's result. And it's exciting. And it's exciting to see our owner understand that too and be all in as well, especially knowing it is a, you know, a smaller market team. He is willing to reach into his, his wallet and, and show us as well that he cares and he wants to win. Yeah. Uh, Hodgecourt, uh, Tom Hodgecourt from the journal Sentinel wrote a pretty great piece yesterday, or at least it was published yesterday um, on the journal Sentinel about the move itself and um, just kind of analyzed our off season moves and everything. And it's a pretty good piece. So I recommend uh, you check it out if, if you have a chance. Um, but in other big news in Wisconsin, um, bigger news than Yasmani Grandal, I hate to say. Uh, the Green Bay Packers have hired new head coach Matt LaFleur from the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator. Um, and we're giving him a shot here in Green Bay, his first head coaching position uh, ever in his career. Uh, Tyler, what do you think? Uh, well, first, when I heard it, I – I'll admit, I said who. I, I had no idea really who it was. Same. He, he was never really on my radar. I didn't, I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know where he came from. I didn't know anything about his history. But what about you, Mark? What, what were you thinking the first time you heard Matt LaFleur? I was like, I have no idea who that is, which was my same reaction when we hired Mike McCarthy. Uh, granted, when we hired Mike McCarthy, I was much more upset when we hired Matt LaFleur, I was, I was excited. Uh, I was like, Oh, cool. A guy I don't know. Like I'm into that. I didn't want us to hire some, you know, retread like a, you know, I don't know, Jim Caldwell or anyone who's ever coached in the NFC North. Um, I don't know. I, I I was just happy that it wasn't someone that we were afraid of like Josh McDaniels. It was honestly almost more relief actually than I was like excited about the hire. I was just like, Oh, Good. It's not McDaniels. I will admit that's one of the first things I thought too. After I said who, I just said thank God it's not McDaniels. <laughs> so I guess that's not the most uh, resounding endorsement for this new guy. But I mean, after reading about him and uh, kind of you know listening to some sports talk and and doing some of my own research, it seems like you know he's a pretty swift guy and. Um, you know, he was a substitute math teacher when he was a coach in college, when he was up in like the central parts of Michigan and Northern Michigan. Uh, it's a pretty cool story. So you got to respect that he's gone from in 2003 being a offensive assistant at Saginaw Valley state to, um, you know, 16 years later being the head coach of one of the most famous and revered organizations in all of professional sport. Yeah, that's a, that's a quick climb. I mean, he's only, he's only 39 years old. 
And, yeah, he did start – get his uh, coaching started early on in his career. I think I think he played – he played quarterback at Saginaw Valley State, uh, threw touchdowns to Ruval Martin, old Packer favorite. Um, and then he played two years of arena football, and then that's, like you said, 2003, that's when he started coaching right away. So he's about 24, 25 years old. Yeah, that's um, a pretty early things, start. Yeah, he, he just went right into it. A um, couple things about him. I uh, Like I was mentioning, I do like that he's a former quarterback. That gives some credence, even though he played D2 football and played in the Arena Football League. At least he knows what he's talking about. He's been there. He's kind of done that. And he was successful when he did it. Um, when he coached for the Falcons, when he was the quarterback co- coach under, I think, Kyle Shanahan was the offense coordinator there. Um, so he comes from that Kyle Shanahan tree. And he was the quarterback coach when Matt Ryan won his MVP and they blew the Super Bowl when they, they should have won. I think they were up 24 points in the third quarter. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and he's been he's surrounded himself or he's been surrounded by like great coaches. Like I'll call him great already. I don't care. Sean McVay. This is kind of a, a higher that is the flavor of the week. Let, let's go find the Kyle Shanahan, Mike McVay, Mike, ah, Sean McVay coaches and try to – a lot of teams you see are doing that, trying to get those coaches from that coaching tree because they want a young, exciting, offensive mind. Yep, and it's a copycat league. And we talked about this. I don't know if we ever documented this in our uh, podcast, but definitely in person we've talked about how the league is changing and how, you know, you don't need a stud quarterback anymore to win a Super Bowl, as we've seen the last couple of years. And now, you know, with the NFL now with Patrick Mahomes, and obviously he's very talented, but, um, you know, uh, Carson Wentz or Nick Foles, um, you know, these dudes who aren't really getting paid a ton of money and they don't need to be fantastic. And you just have to have the scheme to win and kind of spread that money all around. And the Packers are kind of adapting that, but of course we have the elephant in the room, which is Rogers enormous contract. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of like meld both kinds of thinking. Uh, you would assume that if you plugged Rogers into, you know, the Rams or the Eagles or the chiefs, I mean, I think those teams would still be pretty dang good and probably a step better with Aaron, you know, than they are with whatever quarterbacks that they're servicing with now. Absolutely. And hopefully, I mean, a lot of people are looking at uh, the, the, the individuals that don't like this hiring. I can kind of understand why, understand why they don't. I mean, he's young. They think that Rogers is going to walk all over him. Um, but if you listen to Dan or Orlovsky, he's a, People might remember him as a Detroit Lions quarterback. He did in the Thanksgiving game one one year. You know, just a yeah. a professional backup quarterback in the NFL. He had um, Lafleur coach him twice throughout his career, and he said that he's the kind of coach that is going to expect a lot out of you, and better lack of words, not take any crap from you. He said he's going to make sure that Rodgers will be pushed. Yeah, I like to hear that. 
And uh, one quick note, again, about Dan Orlovsky. He was also the quarterback, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, took a safety in his own end zone by running out of uh, out of bounds uh, <laughs> by, by the goalpost in one of the classic boners in NFL history, man. For about 15 feet and didn't realize that he was out of bounds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man, what a that's classic some play. Character, that's some character defamation right there, which doesn't help my point, but <laughs> – Good observation on that one. Uh, hey, a couple, couple other cons and negative things about, because we're going to go look at both sides here. Uh, LeFleur last year as the offensive coordinator, um, this was his first year calling plays. He was the offensive coordinator for the Rams in 2017, uh, but he did not call the plays because Sean McVay did. So last year, the Titans, when he was calling the plays, they had only 19.4 points a game. And that was good enough for 27th in the league. Now, in his defense, Mariota had nerve damage in his elbow. He missed three total games, and I think he got taken out of two or three other ones. So we had Blaine Gabbert behind center for him when Mariota wasn't. Mariota's already probably a bottom 15 quarterback in the league. And Mariota's throwing to players like Corey Davis, uh, Taewon Taylor, and Tajay Sharp. If you play fantasy football, these are all wide receivers that have probably killed you in the past because you read something good on them and they just did not perform. Yeah. You must've done some research to figure out those names. Cause I only knew Corey Davis. All in all, I think it was a good hire. I like, I like bringing in young guy. I like that. It's not Josh McDaniels. My <laughs> wife really likes the hire. Um, yeah, it's funny. I've uh, never, never been so interested in talking sports with me in the past until she saw a picture of the new Packer coach. Yeah, Jamie messaged me um, and was like, "Hey, uh, I saw the Packers got a new coach, and he's not fat." <laughs> and I had a, I had a pretty good laugh. But um, I have a little chunk of. LaFleur's intro presser, um, just where uh, he's, you know, kind of saying what his blueprint plan is for the Packers. Do you want to take a listen? Fire it up. And then just a little bit about my vision here in Green Bay. It's basically, I, I want to develop a, a championship culture. It's filled with high character people that are, are, are dedicated to becoming the best versions of themselves. My philosophy is, is really to lead, teach, and inspire not only our football team, but, but everybody in this building. And um, we are going to be process-driven. And we are going to be process-driven in the pursuit of bringing a Lombardi trophy back here to Green Bay. And that was a courtesy audio of uh, Joel Klatt. Thanks for the audio. And, um, yeah, I like the way that he sounds there. You know, he's confident. And that was from a prepared, you know, bit in his introduction. But um, I like it. It kind of had a Lombardi kind of inspirational, you know, build yourself up kind of thing. I, the reason he got hired at least according to uh, Murphy and Gutenkunz, is because he was the most prepared in the interview. So he did the interview so well that 
it was almost like they were having a conversation with him. Um, that is what they said. So obviously he was going to be prepared for that speech. Uh, he is a little green when it comes to that because as an offense coordinator, you don't have to really talk to the media too often. So to me, when I saw that presser, he kind of looked like a deer in headlights. But I think he'll get used to that. Um, the message 100% behind. He understands where he's coaching from or where he's coaching now and the history and the tradition that's behind the Green Bay Packers and their organization. Yeah, I got to say, listening to the press conference, like I was a lot more optimistic after having heard it um, than I was, you know, prior to the introduction. So um, I got to say that I'm looking forward to seeing how he implements his system, and uh, it should be a fun year, man. It's it's crazy. It's going to be here before we know it. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I Usually, I mean, we're spoiled Packers fans. Usually we're in the playoffs right now, and we, we can get geared in for that and interested in that. And two seasons in a row, no playoffs. And, I mean, this happening right now has made me interested in the Packers again. I I don't want to look past, obviously, the Brewer season or what the Bucks do in the summer, but it's going to be, I mean, if you look at it, a lot of people say that this team doesn't have a lot of talent. Obviously there are some positions we need to correct uh, outside linebacker safety, uh, right tackle, things like that. But if Aaron Rodgers can play to his hall of fame, pro bowl MVP type form, if he still has that, well, he's got Devontae Adams to throw to and Aaron Jones is the running back. That's a good trio right there. I mean, it'd be tough to argue against that being probably a top 10 trio in the NFL right now. And if we have a new coach coming in, implementing new plays, creative designs, instead of just ISO slants, I, I think that the Packers, they could be a playoff team next year. Maybe I'm being uh, hyper-optimistic, but I see it there. Uh, where the, if the stars align, I wouldn't be surprised if they were 10 and six and a team that could push for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, if you listened to our last episode, then you would know that um, we were pretty high on the chance that the Packers might make the playoffs if the Bears lost and whatever. We don't need to rehash all that. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were you know, saying that we were game away from being a playoff team this year, if everything went right, like what's to say that a couple things go right next year and a new attitude doesn't make us a over 500 and competitive team, you know, a mental attitude and just the way that they approach things um, as players and coaches. Um, <clears throat> I think that'll have a big effect on the, on the team. And I've been saying it for years too. Like it's we've just had the same blood in Lambeau for a long time. And I don't want to say that everyone was complacent, but I'm not sure that there's a better word. Uh, it just seemed like everyone was kind of in a rut, and it just needed to change. Um, everyone was being promoted from within. And there were rare output, like, rare input from outside. Um, and I think this is a good way. You know, obviously getting rid of McCarthy and moving on from from him, and now with uh, the new guy, Lafleur. Um, I think it just gives us a chance to inject this new blood and new life and into the, the building over at uh, 1265. 
yes, to, to rewrite or redefine what the Packer way is. Yep, I agree. So while we're talking about, um, you know, an epic building at Lambeau Field, we can talk about a, a less epic building that uh, had a little implosion this morning here in Milwaukee, uh, the Bradley Center. They uh, took the, the roof off this this morning at about 9 a.m., um, and it was quite a sight. I watched a video of it. it. It looks pretty cool, but I also can't think of how sad it is that this building is like 30 31 years old and we're just demolishing it because a basketball team can't make enough money playing there anymore. <laughs> uh, it was, a, I mean, the Bradley center, it is what it is. It was a gift too. I mean, it, it was free for Milwaukee, which is kind of neat as well. Um, yeah, but watching it go down, I mean, that ancient historic 30 year old building. Uh, do you have any, <laughs> Fond, fond memories of being at the old BC? I do have a couple really great memories, honestly. Um, in fourth grade, I won tickets in our Cub Scouts uh, like raffle for selling the most Saruji candy bars. And um, it was like a weekday game, you know, like nosebleed seats, and I chose them, and my dad drove us down, and uh, Glenn Robinson scored 46 against the Portland Trailblazers and we won and it was just like this amazing game. It's awesome. Um, a couple years later, I went to a game with a group of friends and uh, Rafer Alston made a three quarters court shot at the end of like the second or third quarter. And we, I don't think we won, but that was a super cool moment. Um, I saw game six against the Hawks there when we lost. Um, we scored like, 40 points in the first three quarters of the game is terrible. Um, I was at that game too. I think, I think that was the game where Bango um, did a somersault off of a ladder and dunked it. Yeah, dude. I actually do remember being like blown away by that halftime show. I think he, under, or, I think he like tore his ACL or something, but he went, that was the highlight of the game. Not, not that that wasn't cool, but if that's the highlight of the game, you know, your team's not playing so well. No, that was a tough one, man. That was uh, 2009. 2009, that year was. Uh, and then most recently, I saw uh, Roger Waters put on a show there. I think it was the Us and Them Tour uh, 2018 at the Bradley Center. And uh, I've seen a lot of shows in my day, and that was one of the most insane productions I've ever seen. They had the Battery C buildings from the animals uh, album cover like descended from the ceiling. Uh, they had like a laser projection of uh, the dark side of the moon cover. It was just really incredible. Uh, something that I will definitely always remember. So uh, RIP to the Bradley Center. I'm, I'm definitely sad to see it go, but the Pfizer is still a beautiful building. How about you, Tyler? You got some. Well, uh, you got some favorite memories. I remember as a little kid, uh, I couldn't have been any more than seven, eight years old. I took a trip with my cousin, my dad, and my uncle. And my uncle had one of those vans that had a TV in it, uh, because you know, as like a seven-year-old, a trip to Milwaukee from Green Bay takes forever. So I think we watched Fible Goes West <laughs> on our way to the Bradley Center, and. 
we were we got tickets that were really close. I remember we were playing Reggie Miller, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that, like, I was that close to an NBA star. I didn't. I don't think I cared as much about the Bucks. I cared more about watching Reggie Miller hit threes, and that's all he did all game. Because they ended up losing by like twenty. There's that, and then I, I bartended at the Bradley Center for about six years. So a lot of good memories, made a lot of great friends. Um, it's kind of weird that I can never go back to a place that I worked at and had so many great memories and see it again. It's it's literally under rubble right now. Yeah, it's, it was jarring to watch the video. Honestly, it's like, man, it's it's hard to believe. But raise the glass to the BC. Whenever that gets taken out, and I, I I don't know exactly what they're doing with that plot, but it will make the city better. And obviously, it's a necessary thing to do that instead of having an ancient 30-year-old building just sit there. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what else they could have done with it. So hopefully whatever the next development is is around for another 30 years and uh, well <laughs> beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marty, good show. Anything else you want to add? No, I think, uh, I think that pretty much runs the gamut uh, on our topics today. But uh, another fun show. Uh, We'll look forward to doing this again next Sunday, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to like Supper Club Sports on Facebook. Yes, thank you. Supper Club Sports on Facebook. You can check us out there. Uh, We've been sharing some memes and uh, just general uh, sports knowledge. So give us a, a follow and a like on there. And uh, tune in again next Sunday. It's usually around 1030 in the morning. We'll keep you posted. Thanks again, Tyler. Have a great week, bud. We'll talk to you guys soon. I'm going to go watch some playoff football. Take care, Marty. See you later, bud. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.